my gun. I'm ready to shoot. I'm going to put it up in the air. The suspense! The suspense is killing you, isn't it? Yes! Three, two... Oh, I died from suspense. Wake up. I'm now rising you from the tomb. And welcome back to the Ways of Cinema podcast. What a twist. Yes, I'm like M. Night Shyamalan right now. And uh, we have uh, an interesting Wages of Cinema episode coming up for you today. And uh, we have kind of like a special guest in the audience today. Uh, say, say hi, hi special, special guest. Hello. All right, there he is. All right, that's enough. Right. <laughs> You'll hear him later on in the show. In our last episode, we talked about film scores. Uh, there was somebody I like brought up briefly uh, for a moment and then completely forgot about. Jack will play that clip. <laughs> for John no- Williams still the theme from Jaws from from like Anthony Dvorak or somebody. Hmm, really? Yeah, there is like the beginning of... It might not be Dvorak, I don't remember. But there's a literally a classical piece that starts out as da dun da dun 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 Wow. That so is he, it. So I yes. so he probably played that for Spielberg. And Spielberg's like, Oh my god, this is so great. But I can't again, wait to use for Jaws. But again, and John Wayne's like, Yeah, I made this score. Wink. <laughs> but again, that's that's like the beginning and a very small part of the entire piece. Like the whole piece is I don't remember the name, it's dun 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 Oh, I've heard dun, that song. Dun, dun, dun. The beginning of that is the Jaws theme. <laughs> But uh, the one it. person we didn't mention who I really wanted to mention was Philip Glass. Okay, yes. Uh, well, there was someone else I wanted to mention, too. Me first. The fact. Yeah, all right, go ahead. So well, Philip Glass, Glass yeah, he, he did the score yeah. for The Hours, which mm. I've never seen, but I have the soundtrack, and it's one of my favorite albums. So you've seen, listen, so you love the soundtrack, but you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, I, I really had no interest the in it. The movie was all right. Okay. It was what it was. But he also did the movie for a very surprising movie called Candyman. Well, you, well which, I had forgotten I about that, and you uh, suddenly <laughs> you told me to listen to the theme, and I'm like, oh, of course, Candyman. That's right. Okay, yeah. and that, that totally makes sense now. Of course, Koya Scotty and, right. um, and the A few Errol Morris documentaries. Yeah, and then, um, of all things, he kind of helped make the, inadvertently, make like the best sequence in Watchmen. Yeah. Because they use music from Koyaskatsi in the uh, they sampled Dr. Manhattan stuff. scene. But, yeah. But uh, but Philip Glass is great. And I mean, we were talking about uh, we were talking about different kinds of scores, like about making themes for characters and stuff. And right. and, it's, and it's a different kind of score. Some scores are meant to kind of tell the story. Exactly. Kind of like uh, or, or at least to emphasize the story. Kind of like John Williams stuff in Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Uh, but I think there's a very important group of composers which are to set the mood. Yes. Uh, so I, uh, Ennio Morricone, I think, does this the best. Uh-huh. Very good at setting mood. Hold on a second. Damn it, my internet is going off here. Sorry. All right, go ahead. And uh, and this is Philip Glass too. Philip Glass is great at setting mood. Oh yeah. He, uh, oh yeah. Oh god, man. He. Uh, I call Philip Glass music to brood by. Oh, <laughs> very mysterious. Very much about what is the world that we're in. What is this crime that maybe being committed, you know, uh, right. You know, I, um, yeah. Are you, or, or, or in the fog of war, you know, you hear like those strings, like, doo, 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 right. doo, doo, and you know, you see the dominoes falling and okay. War is on. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, a great, uh, great mood setter. Yeah. Um, act and what some of, and, uh, 
And speaking of this podcast that we did last time, uh, this leads us into, uh, we, you know, we, we always encourage you to send us uh, listener comments. If uh, you have any thoughts about the show, you should send them to us. And we have a listener comment that uh, I'd like to share with us today. This comes from Mr. Yeah. De- this comes from Mr. Dennis Gentile on Facebook. And uh, by the way, you might want to sit on the couch there uh, because I think the sun's kind of glaring yeah. in your eyes. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, and there, there are more movies over there you can. If look you're at. a guest on our show, we promised we won't blind you with the rays of the sun. <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll be like Klaus Kinski. <laughs> You'll <laughs> yeah. be shying from the sun. I must need my darkness. But anyway, we got it. We got we a got listener comment, and uh, specifically, it was a comment that Andrew made, and uh, it comes from Dennis Gentile. He says, "Oh no, Jack's co-host. I guess for some reason he forgot you." Yeah, name. why am I Jack's co-host? <laughs> I know you. You know, I might make fun of you sometimes, but you are Andrew. You are a person. All you right, are continue. Blessed. Jack's Ghost sings a few bars from the New World Symphony by Dvorak and thinks it inspired the Jaws theme. Try Prokofiev, the, I hope I pronounced this right, Scythian, Scythian Suite. The dance, Scythian Suite. Yeah, Dance of the Pagan Mas- Monster. Um, and so I'm wondering, have you heard this before? I listened to it because of the comment. Okay. And I, uh, I agree that it is, pr- uh, it's a, pretty good approximation of the mood and the and the rhythm of the Jaws theme in the okay. later part. Uh, but you have to say, Dvorak's New World Symphony, that opening is really, really too close for it to be a coincidence, I say. But thank you for turning on me on to that, uh, to that music. I got something new to listen to. So thanks for the comment and thanks for the tip. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Dennis. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Prokofiev is uh, a pretty big composer as well you know, right. from over time. Uh, uh, the Romeo and Juliet uh Ballet. Oh yes, which we can talk about. Oh, I think in a minute or two. All right, but before we get to that, let's get started. We're gonna go with the two triple M, the two minute movie mile. Yes. See, we just made our own score. Yes. So Jack, since you have five times as many movies as I have. Yes. However, we did see two movies together, which I am looking forward to talking about. All right. So, is one of the, is your first movie one we've done to watch together? All right. You know what? Well, let's change it up a little bit. Let's let's surprise the audience. We'll mix it up a little bit. I'll start with something that I watched by my own. Okay, good. Then I'll right. do something I I did and then we'll do the thing. Okay. Are you you know, like normal. The, all right. So, you ready to set the timer? <laughs> right, I'm all set. First movie. Ready set. Go. 2 minutes. Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. All this right. is the fifth Mission Impossible movie. Once again, you get uh, Mr. Tom Cruise and uh, you know that whole jolly gang. Uh, now you didn't see <laughs> jolly gang. Yes, well, did you a see a jolly gang of secret agents? Yes, secret agents. And this I've time, seen the first Mission Impossible. Just the first one. None of the yeah. sequels. No. Okay. Well, so far in the series, they've added on other actors. Simon Pegg, Jeremy has Renner, been that, and Jeremy Renner, Alec Baldwin is in this one. And uh, what you get this time is that uh, it's weird that they're called the IMF. Which I told this to Corey, and she said like the International Monetary Fund. And I'm like, no, another IMF. Yeah. I'm serious. And the IMF is shut down because. You know, it's like there are too many crazy things that they've been doing. and They're loose um, cannons. Yeah, they're loose cannons, and now they've been folded into the CIA. But while this is happening, there's this secret, sinister organization called the Syndicate. Oh, which, <laughs> yes, which I kind of have to wonder if they were knew that Spectre is coming out later this year because I kind of thought that's the same thing. The Syndicate is such thing. a lazy name. Why don't you just call it The Company or The Group? <laughs> 
The yeah, bunch of guys. Exactly. Yeah, the so t- generic. But but the good news is the movie has very impressive set pieces. There is a sequence in an opera house, which I'm, I swear the director, Christopher I want McQuarrie, a sequence in an opera house! Yeah, but he basically lifts from the man who knew too much. It's that thing where there's suspense, there's somebody who's going to die, and it all has to do with the crescendo of a music note. <laughs> Which I all right. So that, they stole. They do, the but thing. they add their own twists on it. They make it very interesting. All right. They kind of intentionally they they make fun of Tom Cruise's height. <laughs> <laughs> they have the villain who stands up really tall, and you think, wait, this guy's only six feet tall. And <laughs> right, so very impressive press seats. The movie's really complicated. This is like going inside of a pretzel factory. So fun movie, Time. but too complex. All right. So uh, yeah, Mission Impossible. I'm sure we're getting Mission Impossible 6 because Tom Cruise keeps making these. Tom Cruise likes money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, but, can't uh, blame him. All right, Man's so do you want to do one no, of yours? No, let's do one of mine. Just yours, though, yeah. that you watch by yourself. Okay, and ready, set, go. All right, House of Wax, the original starring Vincent Price. I've seen this movie. All right, good. Uh, here's the thing I love about this. Vincent Price... This is basically Vince's Price's movie. Yeah. He's at his most charming and his most vulnerable in this film. He hmm. plays a wax artist yeah. who uh, who you pro- who is probably crazy because he really identifies with his wax figures. Mm-hmm. But he's pretty benign. Mm-hmm. But then a partner uh, sabotages his work. He gets crippled. His hands uh, are messed up. He, yes. His wax museum burns down. And he has to start all over again. He survives the fire. Uh, and he builds his wax museum up again by killing people. I want to build turning, my wax museum! Yes, by killing people and turning them into wax yes. figures. But, uh, and he, clearly he is insane, but he's just so charming. and uh, <laughs> He was very entertaining yeah, in that movie. And there's something about Vincent Price where he plays tons of roles like this, like in Dr. Fives and in, uh, what is it? The other one, like Doctor Five's Theater of Blood, <laughs> yeah, Theater of Blood, yeah. In those two movies, he's he's a disfigured guy who is completely down the tone pole, he, and he's going to get his an payback. artist who's trying to get revenge. On yeah, the people this is who kind of the him. first one. So it's so it's pretty. Some someone said that like you can always have an actor who plays Dracula, or you can always have like so it can always have be a movie like Joe versus Dracula or Joe <laughs> versus Frankenstein, but yeah. but. Vincent Price pretty much inspires his own monster, like Joe versus Vincent Price. <laughs> it's right. like Vincent Price's career has comes down now, to, it's cre- also, to being yeah. a monster of, that is basically him. Mm-hmm. Also <laughs> interesting to note, this was uh, one of a handful of films that Hollywood made uh, when 3D. 3D was big. Th- there's a scene, though, that I will never forget. Because the paddleball guy. The guy Every pa- movie should have a random paddleball guy. <laughs> And I thought this the was going to be dumb. The guy, the ball is bouncing at the screen. I thought it was going to be dumb, but okay. It was kind of entertaining. It's time. <laughs> it was entertaining, but I was also like, ah! <laughs> the thing's going to kill me. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's do one together. All right. I think I know which one we're going to talk about. Well, we'll have two, but again, we should go over the notorious one first. All right, four minutes. We both talk about the same movie. Do you want to time it? Or yes, I'll time it. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Caligula. Good old Caligula. With Malcolm McDowell. Uh-huh. Malcolm John McDowell. John Gielgud. <laughs> yes. Peter O'Toole. And Helen, Helen Mirren. Mirren. Yes. And other You know people. what I love about this? Helen Mirren and... And Malcolm McDowell went back to do commentary on this. So apparently they've gotten over it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I should definitely check out the Helen Mirror one. She, like, when you hear her sometimes in interviews, she doesn't mince words. She's very, like, tart when no. she talks about things. Well, in this movie, oh, God. Like, I'd forgotten how much of this movie is a slog. Oh, yeah. Because and here's the thing. Caligula is a violent film. It's sexually graphic. And a there's lot nothing of, inherently wrong with that. Uh, uh, some of it is just porn that was added later on. Yes. And none of that... Well, none of that is terrible except for this really disgusting cum shot. But, uh, <laughs> but, oh, you gotta see it. But here's the thing that makes this really terrible. It is edited so, so. This is a case where it moves where, at a snail's snail's pace because of its editing. This is a case where you kind of want to. Now, again, I don't know if. Because the director of the film is taken away from him in post, and you know Bob Guccione, who he made Penthouse Magazine. He's not a filmmaker. No, he takes the film and I'm going to assemble it myself, and he has no idea what he's doing. And so he makes scenes where I think we talked about this when we were yeah, watching it. The scene, scenes don't have an end. Yeah, they don't. They have end a moment until where five they five minutes end. after they're over. And I read a little bit more about the movie after we watched it, and apparently. Certain scenes that were supposed to take place in other parts of the film happen in wildly different part moments where they shouldn't have. Like the whole opening of the film yeah, is supposed McDowell to take and place and yeah, and the woman playing his sister—I forget what her name is. Yeah, Caligula and Drusilla—they're they're just like romping through a forest, and it has nothing else. It has no connections to any other scenes. Yeah, which maybe that's why he thought it should be at the beginning, but it's. You know, this movie, like, now we watched the director's cut, so to speak, yeah. which is two and a half hours long, and it feels longer. Oh, yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, I think maybe somebody could do a good movie about Caligula. Oh, yeah. But... There's a lot in there. I mean, Caligula is, is a compelling person, and <laughs> and what this film kind of got at that I think they're going for is really the terror of knowing somebody so powerful and so insane. They're, and simply yeah. knowing them makes you... puts you at risk. Yes, yes, exactly. And that kind of comes through in this film, but, I mean, it's buried underneath the, the very sloppy editing. Yeah, yeah, the, the sloppy editing, and it's a shame because I feel like when I watched the movie, maybe a little less this time, but when I watched it the first time, I feel like Malcolm McDowell was actually giving a genuinely putting oh, yeah. it all Malcolm out Malcolm McDowell was there to work. He, he is there, and he's really knocking it out. Uh, whereas Piero Tool shows up and is completely shit-faced. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Think, the, who directed this? His name is Tinto Brass. Right. I think he said, I read a little bit about this too. He said, Peter O'Toole was not drinking, but he was strung out on something. <laughs> and he, he was strung out on Peter O'Toole. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what's funny? You know who is like the one person though who is... Like who? I guess he's dead now, but he was actually a big fan of the movie. It was John Gilgood? Really? Yeah, he apparently came out and was like, "I I love this film. I wow. think it does." Well, what he it's got to, to get do. out of it in the first fifteen minutes. Well, that's his true. character committed suicide. <laughs> yeah, so he has nothing to complain so, about. So yeah, Caligula, written by Gore Vidal, we think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know. Final thoughts on this? I mean, we also talked about how even though it has the fisting scene is the most entertaining part. <laughs> Time when you can say that about a movie, you know you're kind of in trouble. I mean, Roger Ebert famously in his review, this is about the movie, but time, time, time. All right. All so right. yeah. All right, this, are we talking about another film together again? Uh, I'll let me do one myself. All right, go I'm going to time you. Ready, set, go. Uh, Southpaw. 
the oh, new uh, boxing movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Forrest Whitaker. Um, this is a boxing movie, I guess. And it's not, you know, when you talk about a movie like Raging Bull, which we'll talk about later in the show, um, you know, that is more of a drama about the characters that right. just happens to have boxing as a profession. This is really more of a boxing movie. This is more about, like, a guy who gets down his luck and... So, so how does this compare up. to the ultimate boxing movie, Rocky? Yeah, it's weak tea. Really? Uh, yeah, it's kind of weak tea. The performances are really strong. Jake Gyllenhaal and Forrest Whitaker, even uh, Rachel McAdams shows up, and she's only in the first third of the movie. Um, like she play, like what happens is Jake Gyllenhaal is like this big, brutal boxing guy who boxer, boxer, and he's won every single fight he's ever fought. Um, but he fights like an animal. He doesn't really take time. He doesn't really defend himself. And uh, due to an accident, his wife dies. This isn't a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Um, and so now, then he, through reasons that are kind of rushed and very maudlin, he loses everything he has. He loses his daughter. And now he has to fight it's like back. like Jeff Bridges in The Fisher King. Yeah, only not as good. Because um, <laughs> in this movie, it's just very by the numbers, very rote. Again, and the, you could see like the actors are there, and they're trying to get every honest thing they can out of it. But there are just some things that don't make sense. You have this guy who so great clearly is great performances, stupid story. Yeah, I'd say a story where you can see every single turn happening. Um, I guess it's stylish. You could say that it's from Anton Fuqua, um, but I don't know. It just. Uh, you know, even the song isn't that good. Eminem has a new song in it called Phenomena, and it's just bad. It's like not Eye of the Tiger. It's not Eyes on Fire. Time. You know. I am Phenomena! If, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you can't improve on, uh... If you can't improve on Hearts on Fire, stop. Yeah. If you can't improve on, you're the best. Survivor. Out. There, that's Survivor. The All right. Yeah. All, All right. right, so let's do one with you, Andrew. All right, this is another movie we'll watch together. All right, wait, wait, classic. wait. Jack, you're going to time us. Okay, for four minutes, we're going to the wonderful world of Prince Ahmed in The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. By Prince Ahmed. <laughs> no. The um, Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Now, this the, is the very first animated film. The very first feature-length animated Well, the first an feature-length animated film that still exists. There could be others Maybe. that are lost. Maybe. And but what's unique about this movie uh, now? If one for one thing, the first feature-length animated film that exists is by a woman. Her name was Ad Lottie Eichinger. Am I pronouncing that right? What? The director of the, the movie. Lottie Re Rettinger. Rettinger. Sorry, why did I say Eichinger? Lottie Rettinger. And Rettinger. What she no, does Rett is <laughs> this is not only it's a stop-motion animated film right all the all the animated figures are these articulated puppets done in a sort of uh shadow uh play sort of uh animation yeah and uh you know the story itself i mean it's really a fairy tale it looks at it's, the world of the arabian nights. nights you know you have uh i mean prince ahmed actually got uh, a mention in aladdin the disney aladdin he pops up in he's one scene egg. briefly but he's an easter egg and Aladdin pops up in this movie, but he's more of a supporting character. Right. Um, what's really bad is the Prince Ahmed. Reiniger. In Reiniger. I didn't pronounce. I was saying director. I was saying Lottie character. Reiniger. 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 <laughs> Jesus. Um, well, she tells this story, and it's just incredible to watch. So much of it. Um, there are title cards. 
you know, intertitles that they do in silent films, but it's mostly it's mostly told visually. It's mostly yeah, about the, how these figures interact with each other. The human figures move very fluidly, considering that they're just jointed puppets. Exactly. They don't move like puppets. Each one moves in a different way. There's uh, the backgrounds are painted to give the scenes more depth. It's not yes. just this two dimensional image, mm-hmm. and there are plenty of special effects in it. And yeah, it's really a impressive lot of special for effects. Its time. Yeah, it, it gives it like a 3D illusion in a way. Right. Because you have these figures and very fluid movement. Um, you know, not that much is jerky. Um, you could tell that she. Uh, what I like too is how she mixes it up with characters' eyes. There are times where the eyeballs are moving, yeah. and then there are other times where they're not. Right. And I like that very much. Um. The backdrops are even great. You know, the way that characters are set in a place and time, you know, right. that, that makes it stand out. Uh, just a magical movie. Yeah. You know. And uh, it took three years to animate. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lottie Reiniger and her husband uh, worked on this film. And I think it was the only feature-length animated film she ended up making. Yeah, well, it didn't get a great reception when it first yeah, came out. Yeah, it's like, you show it in Europe and it's like, Oh, it's only the first animated feature ever made. Well, no, it, it wasn't even that. It was because people looked down on fairy tales. Yeah. People thought, well, this isn't really serious. And someone even asked uh, Lottie Reininger, all right, why did you do this movie? Why, why a fairy tale? He's like, well, I like fairy tales, and I like animation. And that's it. Yeah. And that's a pretty direct way to say it. Yeah. Um, don't get any better than that. Um that's why we do this. We like yeah. podcasts. Yeah, the camera work movies. is kind of an innovative too in the movie. The way that um, you see characters move in a frame. The way that Ahmed is on the horse yeah. when he's flying upward and he can't stop, and then all of a sudden he turns the tail to move himself back downward. I think the, I think really the best thing you say is that it's a very sophisticated film in a yes. time when you wouldn't expect animation of that sophistication. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, it's just like this great ruin in, in the history of cinema. you got to rediscover it. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Yeah. All right. It's Ahmed. All right, Jack, your turn again. Well, I'm going to have a lot of turns here. All right. Well, hold on a second. Let me just make a note for myself. Um, three. And, uh, if you want to listen to us on the internet, you can find us at SoundCloud at The Wages of Cinema. <coughs> yes. Also, call- we're on iTunes. <coughs> Search for Wages of Cinema. Like and subscribe and leave a comment. Yes, please. and we're also on Facebook at at the Wages of Cinema, and uh, and you can find us on uh, email at wagesofcinema at gmail dot com. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. And uh, usually, I should have waited for the end of the segment, but whatever. Let's put it in the middle. Let's shake things up. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's your turn. All right, ready, set, go. <clears throat> um, the Stanford Prison Experiment. Oh yeah. Oh, this boy. is a documentary, right? This is not a documentary. This is a dramatization. Oh. With, um, why, why, are you, why are you disappointed? Well, because I really don't like dramatizations a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like movies very every time much. I, every, time I hear, every time I hear like a dramatization of real events, I always think of like eyewitness reenactments on, on like television crime shows and things like that. Yeah, well, uh, well this movie though it, it carries a really great intensity in large part because 
I mean, we know a large part about what the Stanford Prison Experiment was about. The right. fact that at a college, this psychology professor over the Dr. over Phillips summer, Zimbardo. yes, in 1971, uh, got brought together these students, and for 15 bucks a day. Uh, well, originally they went in and they didn't tell them whether they're going to be prisoners or guards. They had a simulated prison, and um, they basically flipped a coin to decide who was going to be a prisoner or a guard. And within a day, these they all took on the roles completely right. without any, you know, any doubt. Uh, part of this you might almost say is because uh, the doctor told them from now on, do not consider this an experiment, you know. And you know, and someone there's an interesting point in the movie where another doctor kind of comes up to him and says, "All right, so what's your independent variable here?" What? And the guy's like, "What? Uh, get out of here!" <laughs> what's great about the movie, uh, and I liked it quite a bit, is that. Aside from Billy Crudup, who plays Dr. Zimb... I forget his name. Zimbardo. Zimbardo. All the actors are relatively unknown. You might have seen one of, one or two of them here and there. So that adds a level of realism to it. You feel the intensity. Um, you know, And then, even though it was supposed to be for two weeks, it hap- it just happened six days. And they because stopped they it. Because they had to stop it. Yes. Uh, really, really good indie. Time. Yes. And, uh, and as a side note... Um, one of the things that threw me off watching this movie, this isn't exactly the movie, but one of the actors looks exactly like Mike DiLorenzo. <laughs> yes. One of the, and he him. plays one of the guards, too. So he's, like, roughing up the prisoners. Like, Mike, stop that. You're usually such a chill guy. <laughs> hey, Mike, if you listen to the podcast, <laughs> nice to see you. I don't know if he does. All right, my turn. Um, all right, yes, your turn. Uh, Ronnie, can you do me a favor? Can you just turn on the light right Ooh. there? Great, thank Earn you. Earn your keep. Yes. <laughs> Very good. <He's> yeah. <laughs> I'm not just thinking of the Grand Budapest Hotel. He's my bellboy. He's my light boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Andrew, you ready? Yeah. All right, and go. All right, Friday the 13th, the remake. Uh, why? Well, was because... It because you saw the original? No, I saw the original because I needed to watch the remake because I was... Uh, the, it wasn't on ten minutes about your favorite. No, it was movie. on. It was on. Uh, I was there too. Okay. So oh, here's the okay. good news. Well, let's get the so, bad news out. Yeah, because I didn't like this movie very much. Uh, it starts out with practically the kiss of death in association with Michael Bay. Mm. Yes. <laughs> on, on my note card, I wrote no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Platinum Dunes. Uh, it's better than the first one. Really? Yes. I was not impressed with Friday the Thirteenth. It's, okay. It seemed to me a pale imitation of Halloween. And this seemed to surpass it. That doesn't mean it's a great movie, though. Uh, what I love is that it kind of fakes us out. And the beginning was something that really impressed me. Okay. Uh, I've heard someone said... Uh, I, I heard someone say yes. that uh, this is basically a recap of the first three Friday the 13th movies. Roughly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not like... Not... Uh, spiritually, you could say that. I mean, there, there's like this little recap of like the end of the first movie, and then mm-hmm. there's this whole thing. Uh, there's this whole sequence before the main title. Yeah. Which. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Where it, it literally involves killing teenagers having sex. Right. Right. Which uh, as you that, expect. And then in the end, he finally gets the hockey mask and everything, which was basically this cycle that was Friday the Thirteenth Part Part One through Three. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it better than the first one. Uh, the characters were slightly better, and it had this sort of brisk pace to it. Okay. Uh, 
I, I there to uh, me the, the thing, thing about was here's that, the big problem. It has too many characters. Mm. I say in a slasher movie, the max that you should have is five. Yeah. Uh, but this one has seven. I kept losing track of everybody. It's not very memorable to me. No, but uh, still better than the first. I'd say that. All right, I agree. time. I agree with myself. <laughs> Are you planning on watching any of the other sequels? Nah. The my favorite one, even though again it's not a very good movie, I really like the eighth one. Jason takes Manhattan. Like now, part now you have to know going into it, he's only in Manhattan for the last act of the movie. And yet, and yeah, I still like it a lot, and I really like the theme song of that movie. Like just the opening credits of Jason Takes Manhattan, I think are incredible because they're just showing like scenes from New York City, like just what New York City looked like in the late '80s, and it's just like, wow, New York City was a terrible place to live in. Yeah, crack alley. <laughs> yeah, it's like after you got your you know wallet stolen after gotten beaten up, you know a rat would use it as like a flotation device. <laughs> Basically. And that's why the Ninja Turtles were born. <laughs> All right, your turn. All righty. Ready, three, two, one, go. Uh, well, I'm going to actually do... Um, now, you know what? I'll just do this for now. Irrational Man. New Woody Allen movie. Um, what's, now, this movie, I think, kind of follows along in this line of uh, movies like Crimes and Misdemeanors and Match Point, wherein Woody Allen gets a character who suddenly gets the urge to kill... And, but it's a very much an existential type of thing. It's somebody who, oh God, do I have to go, th- like, do I have to really do this? And, you know, very much Dostoevsky like so inspired. Much work. Well, well, but in, the interesting thing in this film, though, that's a little bit different from Crimes and Smears Match Point, uh, this time Joaquin Phoenix plays a philosophy professor. And so he's spent like, his oh, whole Joaquin life. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix is back. Yes, he is, once again. He stopped being crazy. Well, he's been not crazy for a few movies now. He, uh, in this movie, he he's kind of depressed. He's been teaching philosophy for all these years, and he's kind of just, uh, I have to keep saying this stuff, and it has no real meaning in the real world. You're just learning these theories. But then one day he overhears this couple talking at this diner about a custody battle that's going really badly because of this judge. And so Joaquin Phoenix decides, hey, I could kill that judge. And nobody knows, I don't know this guy, we're strangers, I could set up like the perfect crime. And so the movie takes on this really interesting dimension where it's like, do we kind of almost want him to get away with this? Because after, you know, will this make his life better somehow? Um, Emma Stone is in this too, and she's really good. I feel like this movie's gotten drubbed by the critics, and I think kind of unfairly. I think part of the reason is because... And this is probably Allen's fault. He makes a lot of the same movies over and over again. Yeah. These literate, you know, middle class, you know, people. But in by what I liked here is that the acting feels really raw. Joaquin Phoenix, as usual, brings it. And a, a really good use of the song the in, the in Crowd. I don't care, I'm gonna say the in crowd, because that's a great song. Dude, you've ever heard that song? Yeah, I'm in with the in crowd. But it's but the but the instrumental one though. It's like look it up sometime. Be sophisticated, Andrew. Be somebody. Have a beer with your old man. I don't know what you're referencing right now. It's it was Nebraska. All right. So do you have one more movie or one more? All right. Let's let's get set. Go. Paprika, directed by Satoshi Kong. Good for you. Yep, I love Paprika. finally saw it. All right, so what do you think? Um, 
really good, although I don't think I've absorbed all the information from it. Okay. I'm really kind of murky on the villain's motivations, so I would have to it, watch it again. Yeah. But I really like the main character. You think she's this sort of free-spirited girl, but when she... Yeah. When, that's really kind of her alter ego, and she and when in, in real life she's this, so she's this really serious minded scientist, mm-hmm. and it's a really great. Uh, there's a really great, uh, really great imagery. Oh Re- God, yeah. <laughs> that, what's interesting is that really this great movie... references to other fi- to classic films. Do you think this this movie kind of precedes Inception by a few years? Yes, but they're completely different movies. I don't know about that. They're I'd like... say so. Oh, well, and, well, Paprika's a lot trippier. A lot, yes. Paprika's a lot more out there. And, Inception uh, was a heist movie. Okay. Uh, uh, Paprika is this sort of tech thriller. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess so. <laughs> but in terms of animation, Satoshi Kon is not that far behind uh, the likes of Miyazaki. No. Anyone. Like, and actually, unfortunately, we lost Satoshi he he died a few years back, uh, so we won't, aren't going to get any more movies. But, but, real, but I'm really glad that he did make the movies he did. Perfect Blue uh, is all, is exists in a similar vein. Yeah, he, he made, made a movie, animated thrillers. Yeah, he which made a movie are called Very uh, Rare, and he made a movie called Millennium Actress, which I still need to watch. Actually, I still he also that. did Tokyo Godfathers, which I didn't. I haven't that seen movie's yet. okay. That's T- not, uh, there were there are there Paprika's are posters. His for, best movie. There are posters for Perfect Blue and Tokyo Godfathers at the end of this. Yes, and uh, uh, um, but what about what else about Paprika? interested you like because what comes out in these dream scenes it's like a phantasmagoria like they're you know you see things moving all over the place oh five seconds i can't think of anything to say in five seconds it's just really cool there i said it time that is why you fail (laughs) shut up Thank you, Captain America. No, I'm kidding. Quiet, <laughs> I, I understood that <laughs> reference. Uh, He'll God. speak only when spoken to. Yeah. All right. This. All right, Jack. You've got a marathon. This one. So. No slacking off. Ready, set, go. <sighs> okay. Um. Dolan's Cadillac. First off. Never heard of it. All right. Uh, what Dolan's Cadillac is? Make me interested in this. I will try. Well, first off, it's based is on it about s- cars. Sort of. Is it uh, about Mickey Dolan's? No. Are you disinterested? Okay. Well, see, all right, this may or may not get you interested. All right, based on a short story by Stephen King. And I hate that guy. Thank you. Um, what you really, get with this but... story is that uh, Wes Bentley is just this normal teacher, and he's married to a, his his wife is also a teacher. They're trying to have a baby. Um, his wife one day sees this really bad like human trafficking transaction going bad with Christian Slater plays the guy who's kind of leading this. He's Dolan and he has a Cadillac, which is why it's called Dolan's Cadillac. Um, they go out, he's this criminal and he goes and kills, uh, Wes Bentley's wife and Wes Bentley suddenly it's like, he's lost everything and he becomes really crazed and he starts trying to track Christian Slater, but that doesn't really work. Charles Bronson. Well, yeah, in a way, this is a bit of a Bronson-type movie, except the big twist is that he decides, all right, I need to do, like, the long game. I need to really get this guy. So he joins a road crew, and um, he, like, works on construction and decides, I'm going to take Labor Day weekend and make a trap for him in the road so that I can get my payback. Don't worry about the light. Um, 
what's cool about the movie is that it gets better as it goes along. At first, it starts off like a pretty traditional th- uh, movie. You know, all right, the guy gets his wife's killed, whatever, blah, blah. When it gets to that last act, and it's just Christian Slater trapped in this Cadillac, and Wes Bentley is up on the road throwing dirt on him, it's really fun. You're, it's really funny, because Christian Slater's just flipping his shit in this car. And I was surprised how much I liked the movie. Time. Yeah, not a All great right. movie, but All a, right. a I'm B interested. Movie. You did your Can job. You click the light a little bit. Sorry. It does that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it is inspired by Edgar Allan Poe, too. Yes. Okay. Except with cars. All right. Next one. Go. Um, let's see. Uh, While We're Young, a new movie with Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts. All right. Um, what you get in this story is Noah Baumbach, who did uh, movies like Squid and the Whale and uh, um, Greenberg and Francis Ha. He's doing a basically a big riff on hipsters, which right. you know you can't have enough hipster jokes, right? Um, he meets uh, Adam Driver and Amanda Seyfried. They're this young couple and uh, living in Brooklyn, and you know they're the type of people who we don't have a computer, we have a typewriter, we don't have CDs, we have records, we have a VCR and a TV player, and I mean a shitty TV player. And yet, Ben Stiller's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by this guy. I don't know, he, he's kind of cool. He, he's kind of trying to do something different. Ben Stiller is a documentary filmmaker. Um, this movie is very funny at, at, through, a lot of it, through a lot of it. I generally liked it, but after a while, I got a bit of the feeling like Noah Baumbach is kind of a mean person. Really? Why? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not, maybe not mean. He's just kind of sour. He's just... There's something about him that his, some of his jokes are a little mean spirited somehow. Hmm. I think um, I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, uh, again, I, I had I haven't seen a Noah Baumbach film, but I okay. think I know the kind of joke you're talking about. Yeah, no, no, it, and it's not like it happens straight away. And there are some parts of this that are very funny, just in the way of showing how Ben Stiller, you know, oh, I'm getting old, and I mean, really, like I have arthritis. And but and yeah, I still have to try to keep up with this guy. But then there's a whole plot involving this movie that's being made uh, that um, no that Adam Driver wants Ben Stiller to become a part of. And Ben Stiller, like part of the meanness, I feel like kind of comes through the Ben Stiller character in a way near the end of it. And he's just like, no, 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 don't you see? He's a fake. He's doing all this stuff. I'm doing my Ben Stiller thing. I'm trying to get one minute to the clock. Time. Yeah. So. Um. <clears throat> All right. Actually, I want to try something a little bit different for the next thing. Can I get three minutes to talk about two movies? Okay. All right. Good. Don't disappoint me. Well, time. Right. Go. Hot Girls Wanted. All right. <laughs> Did I get your attention? All right. Go on. Um, documentary, uh, which, and in both these documentaries I want to talk about were on Netflix. What Hot Girls Wanted is about is the world of amateur porn. Huh. And uh, I see Romney's not interested. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, really? Okay. Well, all right. Well, I've been doing actually at... a lot of research into pornography. I mean, literally, <laughs> I've been researching oh, pornography. Oh, tell me more, Jack. Okay. All right. Well, what this looks at is in the world in Miami, Florida. You know, they oh, I thought have... Miami, Kansas. Okay. Well, in Miami, Florida. They now have because in L.A. people aren't really making porn that much there anymore. No, there's actually because, a, the because law of the that, condom use. The condom law. Yeah, you have to use condoms in porn. In Miami, they don't have that. So now a lot of these girls are going down to Florida, and they're like 18, 19 years old, and they're not actresses. They're just girls from places because they see ads on Craigslist 
telling them, hey, you want to be an actress in a movie? We need actresses who like to be nude. And so this movie looks at various women who are trying to get into this world. Uh, and the thing is, the shelf life for these women is really short. You know, you can maybe get at best six months to a year in the amateur porn world before, if you don't find a kind of niche for if yourself, you, you fade out. Exactly. Yeah, and so it looks at it kind of profiles a lot of these girls, including one girl who, in a very awkward scene, uh, like gets into a thing like where her mother kind of knows she's been uh. porn for a while, and it's just this. It's not like it's not a dramatic moment. They're just kind of sitting there awkwardly. Um, and the other documentary I watched was this thing called Tricked, which I had a weird night where I watched Hot Girls Wanted, and I thought, all right, let me try to find something else like this on Netflix. And this movie Tricked is a lot darker. It's a little bit more conventional. It looks at the world of human trafficking, which is more about um, girls who get caught by pimps, basically, uh -huh. and tricked out, um, and how really terrible it is. It made me kind of hate the pimp sequence in Black Dynamite. Because <laughs> I was like, no, pimps aren't awesome. Pimps are kind of terrible human Th beings. Thanks, human trafficking, for ruining <laughs> a great comedy. Yeah, and... Um, this is presented a little bit more like a news program, I guess you could say. Right. You know, interviews kind of going back and forth. I say more traditional because the Hot Girls Wanted one, it, it almost seems like it could be, it could have gone the wrong way and been a reality show, but it's not. It's more cinema verite. It's just looking at these girls and they're talking to each other about what they're doing. Tricked is more about the straightforward interviews. It follows this one woman who was in who was a prostitute for many, many years and really got messed up by it. Uh, but I recommend both these movies if you have Netflix, especially Hot Girls Wanted. Really moving movie. Time. Yeah. Blah. Jeez. All right, good. Two documentaries. Yeah. Interesting. Let's get some documentaries in there. God, that's See, that's what we haven't seen. Animated documentaries. Mm, although, uh, well, I have. Oh, is this Waking Sleeping Beauty? Well, no, not even so much that. No, have you heard of? Um, I'm gonna mispronounce this title. Is the man who is tall happy? No. Well, it's a Michelle Gondry movie with uh, Noam Chomsky. Oh, okay. And he, it's an interview with Noam Chomsky where a lot of his theories get turned into animated sequences by Michelle Gondry. Oh. And it's really awesome. I wow. highly recommend that movie. Because it's like Noam Chomsky will be talking about what it means to communicate with people. And you'll see these little figurines and little things like a light bulb will go off in a little figure's head. And right, really cool movie. You, oh, We should watch that sometime, man. All right. You enjoy it. Now okay. next. All right. Ready, set, go. <sighs> um, we go back to Tom Cruise with Days of Thunder. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Romney's like, yeah. Um, this is okay. No, but this is better than Top Gun. You have Tony Scott again reuniting with Tom Cruise. Right. But here you have Robert Town as the the writer, um, which is kind of interesting. Actually, Tom Cruise it has a co-story credit. Huh. So I don't know if he if he actually wrote some of this movie. Which he is might have weird. suggested certain scenes. Yeah, he might be stuff. a writer the way that Will Smith wrote After Earth, right. which is like, why would you want to write that? But what's cool about this movie, it's about the world of race car driving uh, in circa 1990. Um, Nicole Kidman, it's one of her first movies in Hollywood. And, of course, this is where, you know, they, him and Tom Cruise, her and Tom Cruise met. Um, really good acting. Um, but again, the story is a little bit predictable in some spots. It's not, there's a, uh, here, let me give you an example about this movie. 
Carrie Elwes is kind of the villain of the movie. All right. He plays a character named Russ Wheeler. Wheeler. In a movie about race car driving. The last time... What a I tired saw, cliche. The, the last time I saw a villain named Wheeler having to do with like driving had to do with a goofy cartoon called Motor Madness. So, and they're the Wheelers in uh, Return to Us. Oh, yeah. Okay, I forgot about that. Um, so there are some really well done... Uh, sequences of showing the race cars driving. That is what Tony Excel, Tony Scott excels at. And Robert Duvall plays Tom Cruise's trainer, and he's written very well. <laughs> Tom um, Cruise has to run over a side of beef. <laughs> what? Like, never mind. All right. All right. And Nicole Ten Kidman is also very good here. She gets a lot of the best lines. Uh, interestingly, she doesn't have to shed her Australian accent. So a fun little throwback. Nobody's going to do an anniversary for it. Time but it is what it is. All right. I'm almost... I'm getting there. All right. Ready, set, go. Okay. 36th Chamber of the Shaolin. Oh. You ready to get into this, Andrew? You ready to get into some kung fu? You bet I am. (laughs) Yes. And his mouth is still moving after he said those words. Um, This is often called... No, kung fu is not as strong as mine, but still... This has often been called the greatest kung fu movie ever made. Oh. Um, yeah. oh. oh. And also served as par- partially the inspiration for Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the 36 Chambers. Uh, and what the 36 Chamber refers to... Uh, are now, what kind of kung fu movie is it? Is okay. this like... Uh, all right. What this movie is, this young guy, he's a son of like a seafood salesman in this small village... These bandits come into town to take everything over, basically a gang. And this guy's name is uh, San Ten. Yeah, San Te. He's played by Gordon Liu. He runs away to go join the Shaolin Temple because he wants to learn kung fu. And when he gets there, he—they uh, don't really let him train right away. At first, it's a little bit of the Karate Kid thing where he's just doing chores. Right. But then he discovers, and he asks somebody, "Can I, can I maybe do like martial arts here?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, you can do martial arts any time. We have all these temples." It's like, "Oh okay." And so there are, well, I mean, temples. Gee, they have thanks, chambers. Guys. They have different chambers. So what this movie really is is about training, and this might be the best training movie I've seen, like ever, or in, in a long time. It's one, more than half the movie is just watching this guy train. And get ready to become a master. And you're seeing him do a lot of things that, you know, are really impressive, but on a small scale. Like, he has to master, like, there's a little pond of water, and there are all these logs on it. And he has to walk over the logs without falling into the water. Right. And there's one section where it's just watching him for five minutes, going over these logs and falling in the water, but he gets it back up and he falls back down. Really, really fun movie. Cool. Oh, I wish I had more time for that. You need to watch that. Yes. If you like watching training (laughs) montages in a movie, I am all about training. This is this is training the movie. That's like how I would sell it to you. And it's a Shaw Brothers movie. I know I've gone over two minutes, but you know, once you get in the Wu Tang, there ain't nothing to mess with. Hey man, it's your house. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Next movie. Go. All right. Um. Next up, uh, Bad News Bears, 2005 remake of the original okay. Bad News have Bears. Have you seen the original? I, I haven't seen either. I saw part of it. I saw part of the Bad News Bears What like, made years you ago. want to see this, though? I just, well, I had it in my collection. Um, I also want, I, I have a thing where I like to see all the movies the director has made. This is directed by Richard Linklater. Um, 
Yeah. And you're yawning at me for some reason. No, just um, keep going. He, um, Billy Bob Thornton takes over the role that Walter Matthau had. Um, and at first, I think when this movie came out ten years ago, I was a little bit hesitant to go see it because I thought, all right, they're just doing Bad Santa again, but this time he's a baseball coach. It's not quite that. Bad Santa was a real, real bastard. And it was an R-rated movie. This is PG-13. Right. Um, and it's a, like one of those PG-13 movies that is kind of a tough PG-13. It has kid characters who are on this baseball team who are real, like, little assholes. Um, but, you know, some of them are kind of funny. Some of them maybe not so much. Um, what I liked was that they tried to make it... Um, not completely dumb for either audience. Like, I mean, there are some cliches with the the whole sports film. So this is not just a remake to cash in. They put not some real completely. effort. Like, I mean, well, I'm sure they were cashing in in some part. Like, well, yeah, I mean, movies but, have to make money. <laughs> no, but I mean, this was a property. But I think Richard Linklater really wanted to make this movie. Like, he used. So to, you put it all down to him? Uh, in part. I mean, well. So no. <laughs> well, him. No. Well, he he did want to make it. I think. Billy Bob Thornton is quite good here. He actually is acting, oh. uh, and uh, again, there are some lot, there's some fun moments for kids and adults here. What else to say? Oh, Greg Kinnear is the funniest part of the movie. He plays like the rival coach of the team, and he's a total uptight dickhead. And he's anytime he's on screen, Time. I'm laughing. All right, I'm laughing, and I am beat. So you have I think your bad news bears, and I have my uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, and I think that would be it for now. All right, that uh, was the two minute boy. movie mile, and I am I'm ready to uh, do something. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about our list movies. Oh yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna have a couple good ones here. You know why? Because you're a mook. Mook. What's a mook? You'll find out in the next segment. 